record. Hello, fellow fair-weathered listeners. Wait, am I a fair-weather podcaster? That must be, that must be that. Um, you are listening to the brand new Same As It Ever Was podcast called Talk Script. What? Yay! Talk Script. Hey! What's up with that name? Well, we'll explain in a minute, but let me go through names here. Who just said that hey away thing? Was that Nick DC? Hey-o! See, he catches on quick. <laughs> <laughs> and I have one other splendid person with me today, and that is Paul Shannon. Howdy. Oh, wait, Neil's not here. Just So I'm, I'm just happy to be here as well. and i am your um unstable host tori rice unstable audio connection not like well i I won't go there unstable a lot of things and there's a lot of things that are unstable right now um but that's okay so yeah talk script so what's that all about uh this is the same show but better because we actually have a name and um, it's really because back in the day when we first started, uh, we were supposed to come up with a name and we couldn't come up with a good one. So we just kept calling it the Site Pen Podcast. And then that just became what it was called. And we never really revisited that. So a couple years later, here we are finally getting around to it. Um, just like me editing the shows, I get around to them. And this is, this is what we're doing. We're now called Talk Script. We're still, if you can believe it, talking about scripts like TypeScript, JavaScript, and other leading technology, leading edge technology. And I just butchered all that, but that's okay. We will fix that in post-production or leave it in like I normally do and just say I'll fix it. Yeah, so we'll see. this should be a lesson to everybody. If if you commit something to master, like the SitePen podcast, it's going to stay in there for a long time. Like it took us, what, a year to get to an actual name? So... You know, uh, almost two years, I think, almost. actually. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. So, you know, yeah. that that thing that you committed that doesn't have tests that you, you're so super going to get back to, um, it's going to be in there for a while. Yeah, we did this on purpose. It's, a, it's like a cautionary tale. It's, it like, a long, it's, it's a, like a long story. It's a lesson of something of some sort. It's mm-hmm. genius. <laughs> genius. Yes, indeed. So let's kick things off here and talk about the exciting virtual worlds of augmented reality and virtual reality because there have been some really cool stuff that has come out in the last couple of months. Um, Paul, you are our resident A-framer. Before he gets into that, before he gets into that, I'll just say that I'm super excited to be a part of this now because Apple said the word VR, so now I can participate. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You totally can now. Apple yeah. gave you permission. I'm gonna get right? him a. Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna get him a little fidget spinner, of, an <laughs> augmented reality fidget spinner. So yes. it can just spin on any fun. horizontal surface. <laughs> yes, yes, and it won't annoy me as much as real ones because they annoy me. I don't get them. I don't understand it at all. It's so lame. Uh, yeah, it's something to do with your hands. That's at least a little not distracting. Oh, right? oh, he actually has one. Oh, yeah, I do. Of course, you have one, and it's a three D printed one, so it's way cooler. I don't get it. They're just it's a it's like a skateboard wheel ball bearing with this plastic thing. stuff. I don't understand. Like I don't get it at all. It's like a skateboard wheel to me. I don't understand, but whatever. 
It's like it's like something to do with your hands while you're you're trying to pay attention to things. So like people that fidget or shake their legs or something like that get a you know, do something with their hands in in a hopefully non-distracting way. But like I have my phone, I can just pull that out if I want to uh, try to do something in my hands and while I'm listening that, to something. That's distracting. That's that's you know. Is it more distracting than a fidget spinner? I don't know, to be honest, but probably it's more distracting to you, I think, than a fidget spinner. Oh, no. Like, you can fidget and then, like, I don't have one of these, but my my kid does. And he has in fidget spinners and apparently Rubik's Cubes are are getting big again. Oh, come on. A Rubik's Cube, though? Yeah. Rubik's Cubes. Big thing. Like, kids bring them to school and they, they, they share, like building different oh man nick has one of those too i not only have a fidget spinner and a rubik's cube i also have a fidget cube to combine the two oh my gosh (laughs) that's like one of those just listen to this (laughs) wow yes every day every meeting fidgets wow i had no idea so from now on (laughs) what i'm gonna start doing is before i give a really hardcore opinion on how terrible something is i'm gonna ask the room what they think first and then gauge my response accordingly <laughs> because I think I've lived in this world of mine, my little bubble for too long where I just give my opinion and no one cares. Um, and it seems to be getting a lot harder to do that because it seems that I constantly am doing what I just did, which is put my foot in my mouth um, and say something terrible about somebody in the room. We're, so we're all getting older, Tori. It's pretty soon you're going to be like, those damn kids get off my lawn. <laughs> Old man yells like at cloud. That. <laughs> well, there you go. See, know your role. <laughs> yeah, I do. That's what I do. You know what? I I help coach my kids' baseball team, and you know what my job is? I'm a dugout coach, which means I just am supposed to yell at the kids the whole time to sit down and be quiet and focus on the game. And I thought, man, that can't really be like this. Coach is going to get mad at me because I can't really handle dealing with kids for that long without getting them getting on my nerves because they're loud and they bang on stuff and they're annoying. Um, but no, like that's really what he wanted me to do. And so I do it and then I just like feel bad. But then that's like my job, man. Does he have really to, feel bad. does that coach have to make you sit down and focus on the game first? No, he gives me a fidget spinner. Okay. <laughs> so I just, I can focus much better now. So, all right. After one failed attempt at making a segue, let's make another segue attempt. Nick interrupted. I'm going with a segue tours with Nick. Should we do that yes. in New York? <laughs> yes. there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need a fidget spinner. Uh, um, so what's going on in the alternate worlds <clears throat> or virtual worlds, virtual reality worlds? Um, is there one in which Trump is not the president that I can join? Because I want to join one of those worlds I think, like ASAP. <clears throat> I think if you have enough money, you can ignore that fact. That's a really good point. And yep. actually, I'll get more money out of it if I had enough money. Yeah, if you had more money, you could get more money. Um, <laughs> so lots of stuff is going on with, with augmented reality lately. And I think it's just because it's like the new exciting thing. Um, you know, there's been a lot of releases and a lot of like information released since last time we talked about AR and virtual reality and stuff like that. And so like um, Apple invented it. Yeah, like Apple. Well, it's been yeah. two years since Google came out with cardboard. Well, actually, three Isn't years. Does AR now. stand for Apple Reality? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Apple that's Reality. My under. That's my understanding. Actually, the so yeah, the the cool term is mixed reality now. 
and uh, oh, whoa. well, there's, that's like a Microsoft yeah. thing because they have the Microsoft Mix conference, right? So that's not. They, is it Mix? They have I, Mix, right? Or is it like Adobe has Mix? Now I'm confused. You know, there's way too many conferences to, to follow. You know what, though? Steve Jobs did invent it because he invented the reality distortion field. And if this isn't a reality distortion field, I don't know what it is. <laughs> this, this is a little better than a reality distortion field. So, like, as far as, like, Apple and, and AR goes, Apple did release the AR kit, um, which is a uh, technology that's been around since uh, Flash or before. Um, basically it allows you to, uh, use the camera and use the accelerometer on the, the Apple, Apple devices, I guess, uh, I'm assuming just tablets and, and, um, and phones to use kind of its, its internal instruments to, um, project things into space. So you use your phone or your camera, like a little lens into this alternate world or, or you know, alternate reality. And then it passes through information from the camera to allow you to kind of uh, layer virtual objects on top of real objects. And how Apple does it is it uses its instruments like its accelerometer and, and things like that to figure out tilt and movement. And then it uses the camera to um, kind of scan your room and look for horizontal surfaces. I'm assuming it, it figures out where the light sources or light sources are and then uses gradients to figure out, you know, what direction are these things? Are they, is it a flat surface? Is it not, you know, because if there's <clears throat> light that shines down on something horizontal or, or vertical, it's going to um, create some sort of gradient pattern that is in line with the color patterns and things like that. So it's, it, yeah. Cause it has like live gradients on the things that they project and live, um, not gradients. <clears throat> they have live lighting effects, right? Like when you move something, um, like, you know, one of the demos I think had like a teacup or something like that or teapot. And then when you, when there was a coffee cup or something, but then when they move this virtual object, the, or they move around the virtual object, the, the shadows that cast actually change and it casts shadows based on the lighting source. Yeah, and so they likely already identify lighting sources to identify horizontal surfaces using the camera because they need to know if it's horizontal, oh, you're going to have a gradient fade from the light source, you know, in, in color-wise, you're going to have this gradient fade that kind of determines, oh, this is a horizontal surface. And so that's how you, that's how you, in general you do... Um, you do edge detection and things like that is you, you identify lighting sources and you identify um, <clears throat> uh, like a, a color fall off or, or, or a hue or what is it? Hue saturation. I don't know. You're the designer, but you, you identify like a fall off from the lighting source and use that to identify its surfaces. And then when you, when you're, when your gradient changes dramatically, then you're like, Oh, that must be a horizontal line and, and that's how I identify the surfaces. So yeah, that's the other thing with the AR kit is they, they do this nice little lighting effect. They're already detecting it, so they might as well add it in. That's pretty cool. I, I'm so glad they finally invented that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, that stuff has been around for a long time now. And um, I mean, there's... there's yeah, it was one of the first iPhone apps that I was really interested in was Layer, um, which was a uh, augmented reality app that I had on my iPhone, one of the first, like I think the first <laughs> iPhone, um, first generation, uh, and you kind of hold it up and it would show you off in the distance, like pop-ups of like what restaurants are there or how far away they are and stuff like that. It's actually like a pretty cool thing. I don't know if it exists anymore because I never used it beyond that because the technology or the hardware was not very good at the time. So it was very slow, but you know, it's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and I, I know Android has had the the camera like pass through where it, it'll do auto translations. 
so you can like yeah. you know have your your phone like automatically translate something to English or whatever language, um, which you know it's it's those are all nice applications of of essential we're talking about here, which is AR and mixed reality. Um, so like as far as like things have been around forever, there's like AR JS and um, a number of other like kits out there, and, and I remember dealing with this in, all the way back in Flash days where you can kind of print marker images and um, those marker images are kind of like QR codes or whatever that the, the camera identifies and then we'll overlay things on those surface. So, um, you know, the, those marker images are like anchors and things like that, that essentially like anchor it to a surface. So the AR kit is just like a little step above that where it's going to do the detection for you. But this technology has been around for a long time. Uh, the DS, when it came out, um, had, little cards and things like that that you could do the exact same thing with. So um, I'm glad Apple is tackling what the DS has like five, six years ago. Yeah, well, you know, it takes, it's hard to invent stuff. It, That's all. It is. And to all the people that, that listen to um, uh, Tim Cook say, oh, VR, blah, AR is the future. And think that like Apple is just going to whip out this amazing like AR solution, whereas like Google and Microsoft have been, you know, Microsoft with the Connect on forward and Google with um, its cardboard projects have been testing the market and, and really trying to get something out there and get get it working in a good way. Is uh, cardboard AR? Cardboard uh, cardboard is is primarily VR. Like you can do terrible things and like you you can you can get an AR frame for it that you can like reveal the camera and do crazy crap with but yeah it's mostly vr but if ar is just a level above that where you you have uh, a pass-through camera and then you have some tools that allow you to uh put virtual objects into a real scene yep so the difference between them you know it's a spectrum between virtual reality which is totally virtual and then um mixed reality where it's it's kind of this camera pass through thing all the way to like virtual or augmented reality where it's essentially like google glass or hololens where you're kind of seeing reality and then just augmenting on top of it so um yeah uh apple is doing stuff um google is doing stuff uh google daydream is going to come out with standalone daydream headsets so you don't need their their phone cozy anymore where you kind of put it in and strap it to your face. They're going to have just a dedicated, freestanding, untethered kind of daydream experience. So it's not a phone. It's it's basically just a headset, but it's going to run Android and have all of the, the Android stuff on it, which is exciting in a way um, because they're also dedicating a lot of resources to uh, do things like revamp Chrome and revamp Android so you can use it fully, you know, fully virtual reality. But um, what I'm a bit disappointed with is that the Daydream headsets um, are going to have external cameras, but that those external cameras um, have only been announced to use um, uh, to use room mapping. It's essentially for doing like room scale-ish type stuff. Um, but there's no camera pass through, which means there's no mixed reality. So there's no chance to like do really cool things like augment your surroundings. Um, you know, in, unless they're, they're 
their specs change. But so far... So when you say it's going to have external cameras, you mean it's going to have like some sort of forward-facing camera or sensor of some sort, but right. it's not going to pass it through to your eye. That's, that's the expectation. So um, the, the Google Daydream headsets are going to do something called SLAM, which is uh, simultaneous localization and mapping. Which are uh, which use a series of, of, of cameras and devices to um, identify the environment around you, so you can do something like room scale, like the Vive has, without having to have external uh, lighthouses like the Vive has. And so right. So when you say that's that's all I wanted to clarify when you're talking about cam, it's gonna have an external camera. You don't mean in the sense of Vive or um, Oculus Rift, where they have these. Ex, like these external standalone base stations that shoot out, um, you know, infrared rays. Right. Um, the, you're talking about on the device itself, it's going to have these sensors that track outward. So it's, it's, it's inside out and outside in, right? The kind yeah. of two modes. Um, and this will have um, one and the Vive and, and whatever you use. It's like outside in, right? So this will be inside out? Yes, this will be in. Uh, oh God, I hate these terms. Yeah, this will be inside out tracking, which means that the device itself will have the tracking equipment on it and will scan the reality around you to identify things. So kind of think of it like if you strapped a connect to your head, that that connect camera and, and the external cameras would, would work in tandem to identify the environment around you. And um, yeah, it, it's supposed to do some cool stuff, but without an external camera and the ability to see through it, um, I'm kind of wondering, like, like I'm kind of wondering what Google's doing. And so this stuff all derives from some project they have called Project Tango, which does do augmented reality or mixed reality and allows you to kind of work with the environment around you and, and does all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, maybe they'll change it or maybe, maybe they've changed it since I've seen the release. I don't know, but fingers crossed they will and, and kind of enable that ability either when it releases or somewhere down the road. I bet Apple will get it right. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they'll probably get it right. I mean, you're going to have to wait a couple more years, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they wait for someone to get it mostly there, and then they'll just take it over and invent it themselves, um, which I'm looking forward to, to be honest. It's going to be great. It's going to be tremendous. So that's what Google is doing. So tell us about what's going on with Microsoft, because they have um, at their recent... Um, Developer conference was that what it was? Is it the develop? When, when did they do their thing? I don't know. Hololens. These, these companies. Well, they have the, all these that, Hololens was a while ago. Hololens. No, Hololens I know, but where was, was yeah. the, the latest mixed reality headsets and stuff? So let's just tell us about it. Who cares what happened? No <laughs> one cares. Like here, I am trying to sound like I know. I don't know when it happened. It it was it before was a, now. It was a f couple months back that they started to reveal. The, um, the, the cheaper mixed reality headsets. So uh, Microsoft has partnered with, uh, what was it? Uh, Acer, HP, Lenovo. I think there's one or two others, but those are the main ones. Um, Company is known for making really solid, great hardware, basically, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I don't know. HP's no slouch anymore, I hear. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's that, you know, it's Microsoft. It's Windows, like... They're always going to have that kind of like um, uh, that all the partners that are doing whatever they're going to do. And some of them are going to be good and some of them aren't. And a lot of them are Is there aren't. a gateway one I can get? You know, I, I hope. <laughs> it would have like a cow pattern on it. 
I hope I hope we can find one for you, Dory. They should they epic. should reboot Gateway just for you. Um, they really should. <laughs> An e machine maybe. Yeah. Oh, I had an e-machine. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, you know. But, um, you know, at least you could get in and get into the the, uh, the the ecosystem of Microsoft for like two, $300, even on a laptop, whereas like you need to be Bill Gates to actually buy top-of-the-line Apple stuff, right? Lies. Uh, lies. lies. Right? Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, you pay so... For, to be honest. Uh, well, I should stop stirring the pot. But um, Microsoft uh, basically released a spec to a bunch of their manufacturers. And so these are are cheap, uh, being about $300 uh, mixed reality headsets. They are tethered, which is, um, which is a bit of a minus for a mixed reality headset because you really want to be able to carry it around and be free. But the, the idea is that people will get a chance to work with them and develop on, on these, these systems and come kind of come back with some really good ideas, which will then reinforce the next generation of, of headsets. So kind of like... I wonder with the tethering, if they're going to have... Um, so TPCast and um, recently Intel and DisplayLink have announced uh, putting out uh, wireless adapters for the Vive. Um, so I wonder if the, those would work also with, with the uh, mixed reality headsets from Windows for Windows. Hopefully, um, and I, I think as things kind of develop over the next few years, that we'll see kind of solutions that that fit around what the, what patterns people come up with. Like, you know, there's a lot of ideas that you talk about virtual reality, and you're talking about games and things like that. But mixed reality is going to to give you the ability to kind of like augment and, and add information to to kind of systems you work with. And so like some of the demos are, are oh, you take a picture of your living room or you, you wear a virtual reality headset and you can um, you can add furniture and, and adjust, you know, things in the room like from a store or something like that. I think Wayfair has an app where you use augmented reality and you just kind an of... Ikea. An Ikea, yeah. And so... Um, you I know, hope it comes with Allen wrenches. Oh, gosh. That would like, be you get the real IKEA experience where you have to build it yourself. <laughs> I think. Oh God. It well, would be hours and would, hours of gameplay. It would give you a sample of like what's. It's to basically come like a job buy. simulator, right? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, as we kind of solve things like that, like as we find the value in, in exactly where mixed reality sets are, like I could imagine. Um, you know, using mixed reality in like an industrial scenario where you have like anchor points that, that mark like different things. Like it's like, oh, like you're in a big, uh, you know, you're in a big factory or something like that and you have pipes in the wall and you want to be able to see the flow through them. You know, if you have this mixed reality headset, you could look at a marker on the wall and then it would go and, and get that information from a server somewhere and then provide it to you right in your mixed reality headset. And the benefit is you wouldn't have to have like LCDs all over the wall with power and everything like that. You would just have a little simple marker that says, this is where you're at, kind of like a QR code. And then you have this tetherless like mixed reality system that you can look at and, and like... Do the automated job stealing robots really need that though? Because they seem like they would already know and they don't really need the headsets. Well, you know, uh, anchor points are a big thing in automated robots. You know, having those those visual anchor points is is still a thing for robots too. So super important. Okay, cool. Then I'm sold. Yeah, 
Yeah. So when they get that gateway plan up and running, I want to I want a tour, <laughs> a virtual the, tour. The automated job killing gateway plant slash yes. machines mo- model. The machines, yeah. <laughs> and they're you know they also produce cows. Why not? Right. I, yeah. Right. Why not? You need to fuel. You need to automate the fuel system somehow. Right. Um, exactly. You use all the methane. That's and right. There you go. Oh my God. So um, so Microsoft is make, making huge inroads in in mixed reality with Hololens, which is super expensive right now, but it's tetherless. It's about three grand if you want a developer's kit. Um, oh, I didn't realize that was untethered. It is. It's what the battery life is like on that? Um, I don't know. Hopefully, you can just you know buy a power brick and just plug it in, right? <laughs> well, then it's tethered. Yeah, but it, to a power brick that is untethered. Like I'm, I'm not talking about a wall wart. I'm talking about like one of those portable, oh, like like a battery okay. things. Yeah. Well, that's like the big thing right now, right? Is it's it's batteries and how much power these things take to run, um, kind of do limit the wireless capabilities because at some point you're either carrying it on your back or it's strapped to your face, and that seems a little bit heavy. Yeah, I, I imagine again, like in a in an industrial setting or something like that. You would just have a battery station where you can. Swap well, robots battery can packs. carry a lot, so robots can carry a lot, and you know they I don't mean, complain much. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, robot pack mules. You'd just be like, robot, get me another battery pack, and it'll just go zzz and buzz off. And oh, you know what I would call it if I had one? I call it Pac-Man. Oh God! Do you think anyone <laughs> thought of that yet? <laughs> well, if not, it's been said here. Yeah, no, absolutely. So now it's a thing in the world. But, Don't uh, steal my idea, people. They'll have to go <laughs> eat power pellets. Power, literally power pellets. You need to literally yeah. sell power pellets. Yeah, then they would they would just go up and they would eat them on their route yeah. so they can keep going. I, I'm sure round or a sphere is the the least efficient way of packing that, but we should do it anyway. Like BB-8 is pretty efficient. Yeah, yeah, I know that that BB-8 thing is totally real. Uh, <laughs> right. It, it is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so yeah, Microsoft has been making huge inroads. Uh, they just released the creators update. It has paint 3d, has some mixed reality tools, some stuff that you can like look at 3d objects in a mixed reality thing. So yeah, Microsoft good. Um, they've been doing stuff slowly and surely and pushing it out and trying to push prices down. And, um, I'm glad uh, Apple has just shown that they can run the Vive on one of their systems. So that's something too. That's actually a really good step forward. Like as much as I like to bash on Apple, like I'm sitting in front of my iMac and then next to it is now a huge screen that's running my virtual reality Windows computer because I've been doing Windows or Internet Explorer testing and edge testing, which I don't recommend to anybody ever having to do. Um, <laughs> it's it's actually really not as bad, but man. Anyway, um, I, I do like that Apple has, has finally realized that this is a thing and that they should probably start selling super duper expensive computers that can actually run it. And, um, and a little annoyed that, too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a bit annoying, though, that like the iMac Pro is, you know, kind of their, their machine that can run VR and it's how much? Like $5,000? I think 5G um, is comfortably equipped, yeah. I would have yeah. to go back and watch, but I'm pretty sure that the demos that they did were not running on iMac Pros. They were running on regular iMacs. 
I, I think mm. you might be right, except some of the the ILM stuff was on the big iMac Pros. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, like, I'm not saying it wouldn't run, but I'm going to have to look up what the video card is on that because it seems like the new iMacs are a step in the right direction too. Like, I'm glad that they're, they exist, but... Eh, I hear they're going to come out know. with external graphics cards and everything to help augment Yeah, which is well. great. Yeah. It's absolutely great. It's it's about time, um, and that's not an Apple thing. That's just um, mostly been a. Um, oh yeah, you're right. They they show the vibe with the the current new iMac. Um, the site is really weird, though. They oh, also do. I see it got a, a lot Pro. of flack. Oh, they do. They have a they, Mac Pro. They haven't announced it yet, but they did. They had a roundtable thing with some reporters and oh, really? told them that a Mac Pro is coming. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that's good. Speaking of the yeah, new so Max, Thunderbolt can... three was what I was going to say. With the Thunderbolt three um, hit, that was the that was the big uh, limitation before. Was Thunderbolt wasn't fast enough to really do graphics cards. Right. Well, I mean, sorta. It it's that's still debatable. a little slow, but I mean, if you're offloading all of it to just a graphics card, you're just talking about transferring stuff to the onboard memory of a graphics card and then letting the graphics card do the heavy work. Um, so that's doable. Uh, but talking about like the, the, what is it? The Apple pro pro or whatever they're calling their, their 5g machine. You remember when we talked the about the iMac this, pro, come on, iMac pro, well, who, who knows? They just, I do. Uh, everyone, nobody, everyone knows about you. Nobody cares. Oh, <laughs> remember when we laughed about the surface pro and we're like, Oh, like two fifth or $2,500 for, uh, you know, designer machine that can like do all this stuff. I mean, sure, it's fancy, but then Apple's like, I know what we'll do. We're gonna double the price and sell it to the designers. I'm still yeah. laughing at the Surface Pro. You're you, you are super fanboy though. Oh like, no! Oh no! Like like they like I I, I watched <laughs> I watched some of their announcement and do they have a dock now on the iPad Pro? Yeah. Really, that's their innovation. They brought a dock on it, and so now it's like <laughs> a Surface. Now it's like a Surface Pro. It basically runs Mac. OS or OS. It doesn't at all. It does not. It's not even close. Basically, it's like, oh, look look at us multitask. It's like, you know, you know, that was the big innovation between Windows 95 and Windows XP is it it can multi or right or Windows 3.1. I'm sorry. Windows Windows 3.1. I was going to say, I'm like, this is out of those. (laughs) Windows 3.1 and Windows 95. This is show your age thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just. You want to feel really old, though? The other day I said freedom fries in front of a 20 something and they looked at me, had no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) <laughs> and that's when I was like, wow, I've just reached that point where I'm like old. Wow. Because they don't know what freedom fries are. Why I was making that joke, they did not understand. And they're just like, what are you talking about? You know what? You I was like, hey, I didn't fight a war to get yeah, freedom full fries. Full stop. I didn't fight a war. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Mitch Hedberg. Did you see that when he's on that, that 70s show? And no. he's like, hey, I didn't oh, yeah. lose a leg in Nam. So that you could, you know, come in here and yell at me like, you didn't lose a leg. And Nam, he said, I didn't lose a leg in, in Nam. Nam. <laughs> well, you should just anyway. give him a, you should give him a dime, Tori, so they can use a payphone and call their mom and ask oh, man. her the reference. My right? kids saw a payphone and were like, what is that? That is a relic. That is a museum outside, children. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. They can't fathom the concept. Everything's just like, why don't you just get it on Amazon? 
like anything. They're like, can I have this? I'm like, no. They're like, why? I'm like, because I, I don't, I'm not going to get that for you. Like, just go on Amazon and get it. And it's like, whoa, like, that's not how money works. Like, yeah. you know, just get everything and it's not instant. And they're like, you just ordered something. It's going to be here in an hour. I'm like, you know what? This 2017 is great. <laughs> it, it is. And like, th- that's, that's this Generation Z is like the, the instant generation. Like everything, video, music, goods, they're all available essentially instantly. They're going to become zombies. Computer. You know, it's going to be. Coming, a, I mean, they're Generation Z for a reason, right? Like, yeah. Come on. It's the last generation, right? Right. Zombie generation. <laughs> hey, pro tip to everyone out running zombies just go up into the mountains where it's snowing. They will freeze and not be able to chase you. That's like, why it's climate so change, annoying, right? That's why climate change is so devastating. It's when the zombies. Well, come. once everyone's zombies, they won't be polluting, so we'll be all right. Yeah, but the, there'd be no snow on the mountains. Nuclear wow. winter. Nuclear Hello. winter, there you go. There we are. There's the engineer. Solutions. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what if we nuke them all? We'll solve both problems at once. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I have two more things before we get more off track. No, I'm doing everything I can to make sure you don't finish this list in throwing, an hour. You were just throwing everything at me. Damn it, Tori. You were good. Um, so two more things. Um, it, they are working on, uh, I, I went into the, the WebVR uh, Slack and I started asking questions about AR because I'm like, how are we going to do this crap? Like, really, I want to be able to start experimenting with things as soon as, it, as soon as the mixed reality headsets come out that I can afford, um, aka not HoloLens. Um, so I, I asked them and they're starting to actually work on specs uh, for Web AR. And so the specs are out uh, on GitHub under Google VR slash Chromium dash web AR. And you can kind of see them develop uh, right now. I think the question is, well, how are we going to do cameras across all of these headsets and make it look nice? Because it's not just a matter of, you know, taking, you could just take both camera inputs and kind of shove them into your web browser, one in each eye, and then be done with it but then you wouldn't have any of the hardware features that help actually make those things smooth and nice and, and everything like that. And so you'd have to do like manual uh, detecting of horizontal surfaces and stuff that ARKit does right now. Um, so yeah, they're, they're working on that uh, just to let you know how fast things, these things happen. You know, WebVR came out and now we're what, 13 months later after the Vive was released and uh, WebAR is already gonna be a thing. And then, um, yeah. Uh, oh, and I've been working on A-frame typings, and uh, those are going to be out soon too. So all of our TypeScript people uh, will have that on definitely typed, and they'll be able to use uh, npm install at type slash A-frame and get some syntactic support. Nice. That's awesome. I can't wait to try it. I've, I've actually been very curious about doing it, and now that um, I'm pretending that I'll have a little more time one day, uh, I definitely want to want to explore that. That's I, I definitely um, feel that I haven't done enough to work with a frame or do any of that stuff. Um, mostly because every time I put on a headset, I'm like, oh, I'll just go play a video game now, um, and then I'm out of time because I spend like hours <laughs> doing that at night instead of going to bed. So that's called research. <laughs> that is, it's re- it's I'm researching. Yeah, I'm trying um, to come up with a Keenan Feldspar joke. <laughs> 
Oh, man. So great. Yeah, that sounds like really good stuff. And, and you did really well. You handled all of my comments and John McCain didn't jump in and interrupt and tell me that I had to let you finish. So I think that we are doing good. I hear he's very concerned, though, right now. So he, he did send me a um, message and said that the 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 last presentation was much better than this current presentation. OK, good. He, yeah, he just good, stayed good. up all night watching baseball. It's <laughs> right. he's tired. <laughs> but who stole the nutter butter plane oh walnuts so nick we're gonna play go fetch with nick yeah and by that i mean he's gonna tell us about the fetch api yeah and i just try i was trying to come up with something that sounded like way more exciting i mean that's exciting too don't get me wrong like this is talk script that's exciting stuff <laughs> you i know just want to make it more sound exciting like, what <laughs> <laughs> That was very exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've been playing with uh, the Fetch API for oh, a little while now, and it is nice. It's so much nicer than um, than the XML HTTP, HTTP request, even though I hardly ever used that directly um, because it's not a very nice thing to use. Uh, but Fetch is, is really nice and built into the browsers now. And Stop working. trying to make Fetch happen. <laughs> You, you could just call but, it XHR around here. We're, we're all friends. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know what to what to do now that Tori mean girled me. <laughs> I just, you know, I wasn't even hardly paying attention. I just heard fetch and it just came out. Like I didn't even mean for that to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, but fetch fetch is a really cool API that's built on modern uh, web technologies like promises and streams and. Um, you know, around here we we are kind of familiar with uh, this project called Dojo that has a request API uh, that wrapped the XHR object and and made it easier to use, returned you a promise, and does all of that. Uh, now this is pretty much built into the browser, and it's very similar to the uh, request API uh, from Dojo, but uh, in in the sense that you can make a request with by just calling fetch and passing it a URL, and that gives you back a promise. Uh, but you can configure it more and uh, go from there. And when you combine fetch with um, the async await stuff in uh, newer, ver newer versions of JavaScript, it's uh, a really nice, easy API to use. So you make a request by calling fetch and give it a URL, and you get back a promise. And then that promise will resolve with a response object. And you can check the status of that response to see if it's 200 or um, whatever uh, HTTP code that, that uh, you're looking for. You can get access to the headers and you can get access to the body of the response. Um, and that is just a, a stream, a readable stream. So you can call response.text and get back a text representation of that. Or you can call response.json and get that back. And those are both um, APIs that return promises as well. So that'll resolve with the actual JSON or JavaScript object or text uh, that you're looking for, and then you can use it. Really simple to play around with it more. Uh, you know, I just hooked up a really simple uh, let's talk to the GitHub API uh, example and played with that, and it's super simple. Obviously, it works with cores, so we could make that cross-origin request to the GitHub API. And uh, yeah, all in all, it was about 
17 lines. Really easy. Yeah. I've wow. been playing around with it on a, on a project recently now and it's nice. Um, so you said it, it, I, you said it uses streams. Does it actually yeah. stream in the data as you get it? Is that an option or are you still going to use something like WebSockets for, for that? I assume you're still going to use WebSockets. I haven't gotten that advanced with it. Um, the reason that I wanted to talk about it and, and the reason it's pretty cool is because like, I, I really like that this is just built in and you don't have to think about how to use the XHR object. Like that was a really hard thing to do where didn't you have to give it a minimum of two callbacks? Uh, it, the, the big problem I had with it is you had to watch the state. And so the state would change from an event and you're like, Oh, this is state zero. This is state one. This is state two. This is state right. three. Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to know this crap. I don't want it to do right. it. I'm using dojo. I'm <laughs> like, nobody wants to screw with it. Cause either it's just, it's, it's really basic. Right. You have to be concerned with how it happens instead of just getting back what you want. Yeah, uh, which is I what was you can just going to say yeah. that I was going to say it. And then I was like, well, maybe maybe I'm just really uninformed. So maybe I just won't say it. But I was I was thinking about a lot of this stuff that y when you don't have when you're not using something like Dojo and you're you're being a little more, um, I guess, raw or whatever, whatever, vanilla JavaScript, whatever you want to say. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, even and it's not just JavaScript. I mean, there's other things, too, but. Definitely, it feels like you have to worry about so many more things that I kind of don't want to do things vanilla. You know, like why, like, you know, toolkits are going to continue to exist so that you don't have to worry about so many things. So there's common things you do all the time, but then you have to, you have to think about all these cases and it just, it kind of, it's kind of a bummer. It kind of mm -hmm. isn't fun to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you totally. can get that in CSS. Like, it's not even, it's not, it's just, I mean, even in CSS, you have that kind of stuff where, you know, every element can have, you know, not just hover and, you know, there's active styles and pressed and, you know, all these things. And when you start doing complicated things, you have to start worrying about all these different cases that you need to think about. And it's just kind of, it's kind of um, annoying to deal yeah. with that. Yeah, for sure. The thing I do like about this is that, it, like, you know, something like this was something that I would have used in uh, jQuery way back in the day when I was using that. Like, I'd use their $.ajax to do all of the Ajax stuff that I need to do. And today, uh, you know, when I'm working with Dojo, um, Dojo 1 in particular, I'm using Dojo or Dojo requests for every Ajax thing I need to do. And so to get something spun up and to do a quick example or a prototype of something, uh, I bring all of that in. This is really nice where... I don't have to do that. And, and like, it's just a continuation of, of all of the nice things that are coming to the language itself and to additional APIs around the language to make it so easy to get set up and going without having to think about um, supporting libraries and frameworks, particularly to get like prototyping done or to, to just get the ball rolling. Uh, frameworks are still really important for giving you something to, to uh, work around to uh, backport. Yeah. Right. For, for backwards compatibility, because fetch, you know, I, I actually don't know where it's, where all it's supported. Uh, I know at least Safari and Chrome. It's, it's on um, all the modern browsers. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're targeting latest, everything you're good with fetch. Otherwise yep. not so much, but not latest IE or 
Edge has it. it. No, there's no such thing as latest IE anymore. We call it Edge. <laughs> yeah. It's like the cutting edge. Yeah. It's like Ed, I, I Edge. I, no. Um, <laughs> yes. So are, are there except... any, are there reasons we wouldn't want to use fetch? Like I can think of one. Um, but, you know, have you ran into anything that you wouldn't, that you would say that this is like a, an automatic, I'm, I'm not going to use fetch or, or I'm going to wait and, and evaluate it later? Do you mean as uh, as a choice between fetch and XHR or? Or, uh, yeah, X, X, XHR or any of the um, toolkits or, or whatever that use XHR. Sure. Because the one thing I found, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I, I can't think of one, honestly. If it's yeah. available, I would like to use it. So, so the one thing I found is that there's no cancel mechanism yet in, in oh. fetch. Yep. And that's the only thing. Like if you are dealing with something cancelable, like there's there's not that vernacular yet for promises to cancel a promise. And so I think as a result, there it's not there for for fetch either. Correct. Yes, that is true. Um, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. So yeah, that I think that's the only thing that came up in my my evaluating of fetch when I when I looked at it earlier, and I haven't used it very deeply. I, I'm I'm just using it because it's super simple to get an array buffer of data, and I'm I'm dealing mm -hmm. with raw data in. Um. And and so yeah, I, I picked it over XHR two, and I'm like, ah, eh, I don't need cancel. I'm chunking data anyway. So yeah, I, and I was gonna say that like that's a really good point, but I can't think of a time that I've ever tried to cancel an XHR. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's for the most part, it's basically efficiency. Like you can always just throw mm -hmm. it away, and unless you're downloading a ten gigabyte file over <laughs> right. XHR, you're probably <laughs> all right, you know. Yeah. And if you're doing that, you're probably chunking it anyway, so and reassembling it in some fashion that's not insane. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's, yeah, maybe, or you might be someone like me that just does stuff that you shouldn't do. <laughs> like just saying i i have a feeling that most of us are in that camp that we do a lot of things that we don't and we're not supposed to <laughs> like stuff you it's like when you tell your kids not to do something and then you're doing it and it's like well you're doing it. it's like right but like i'm telling you not to do it yeah like this is okay i know what, I know I'm, what doing. I'm doing <laughs> yep yep <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of general cases that you're like eh, but if you do it in specific cases it's okay kids <laughs> But but don't ever do it. But don't ever don't even think about it. Not under my roof. Man, a minute ago, someone mentioned, or um, Nick, you had mentioned if you wanted to do something really quick, and that got me thinking about CodePen, right? And then, yeah. which I've recently, like, I never really went to CodePen.com itself ever. Um, like I've always just gone to a specific pen, right? I've never really gone to it, and. <laughs> They have like this whole community around it now, um, or maybe it's always been that way. I have no idea, but there's like a lot of really, really cool, um, really cool effects and, and animations and stuff, which I've been looking at a lot lately. Um, so I discovered the search functionality, but I saw something and I couldn't, and I can't remember where I saw it. I think it was on Reddit. There's like um, a Visual Studio Code, a VS Code plugin that basically allows you to do kind of like your own code pen locally. So oh, if you're nice. in your editor, and I can't find it. Weird. <laughs> it's really cool. Like I, I was like, oh, I want to install that, and then I forgot about it. 
And now I'm like, oh, now I'm going to bring it up on the podcast. Maybe someone can tell me on it. I have no idea. Maybe we can find it for show notes. Yes. Yeah. Good idea. Good idea. So if cool. you're wondering so, what the heck Tori is talking about, check out the show notes. Yeah. Like if you don't know, <laughs> it's time. It's time we figure it out. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Re- I really like the, like this exists and that's great. And it's built on top of all modern things. So because it uses promises, you can use async await with it and it just works and it looks better. Uh, looks really easy. Um, I mean, the code is very readable, I mean, from it. And um, it's just cool. Like, this is in addition to things like uh, a class syntax, for example, or um, or ju- even just native promises. Like, you don't have to bring in libraries to, to do any of that. And you don't have to bring in a library to work around the uh, pitfalls <laughs> of XHR directly and just use this. So you can get up and running and get something together quickly, which is really nice. Yeah, totally. Um, so moving on from that, I'm going to fetch the next topic here. See what I did there? Do you like that? That's good. Trying to make it, it happen. It's, it's going to happen. Um, yeah. So as I alluded to a moment ago, I have been looking at a lot of animation stuff online. Um, and that is because I have been very interested in it and, um, kind of like how, uh, Paul's been doing a lot of A-frame and VR stuff. I've been doing a lot more animation stuff and figuring out a lot of those things because there's some really cool stuff out there. Um, and it's amazing how quickly now that we have more modern browsers and there's all the, like how much faster the progress has been on bringing these features. Um, so I, I've been very excited to play with WebGL and things like that. It's been really cool. Um, so we were talking about doing this episode um, one of the things that Paul had mentioned was maybe I should talk about um, characters. Like, how do you rig a character and how do you move a character? Um, even just in general, not specifically on the web, just in general. Like, what what do you do? Um, so I wanted to go over that because it's something that you probably know a little bit about. Like, if you've ever played video games or, you know, dabbled with things. But it's like a lot more complicated than you'd think. Um, so when we did the Milestone Mayhem game, which, again, Nick and I are going to be doing, and you can see the video that I created at the booth, um, I had to, for, so our booth has a TV, and we were like, well, what are you going to put on the TV? So I was like, well, I will animate some of these monsters, these Mayhem monsters, um, destroying like a Gantt chart. Um, <laughs> and to do Thank that, God. you have to animate them. It's about them. time. <laughs> So the first one that I tried to do turned out to be one of the most difficult learning curves. And I only had about a week to do this video. So I'd have three monsters doing this whole thing. And I, I've never, I had never even used After Effects. Like I opened it up for the first time that day and I had about a week to knock this all out. So I had to learn stuff very quickly. Um, so when you're rigging a character, there's kind of uh, like, I guess we can split it between two different things. There's 2D and 3D. Um, so 2D is... Uh, somewhat obvious as to what that is. So you have a flat image that is a you know representation of a 3D object, but it's only in two dimensions. So uh, I like to think about maybe Super Mario um, as, as a lot of us who, if you understand what freedom fries are, then you probably played Super Mario. Um, so that's two-dimensional, and it uses uh, sprites. So a sprite is basically 
there is an image for every single movement that the, um, or every single pose, I should say, not movement, but every pose that the character will make is an image. Um, and then you might have heard of a sprite map. You might have used it in CSS to do icons and stuff. But you know, it's basically the same kind of thing where each image is, you know, let's say it's 100 by 100 pixels. And then, you know, in that 100 pixels, your character in each one can, in each cell of 100 pixels by 100 pixels, has a different pose. Um, and so what you do is, is that when you're coding that, you maybe when you press A or B or something, you want to jump. So you basically map when they press the key or the button, it switches that sprite to um, basically to that, to the sprite of, you know, in Mario's case, he's kind of got his arm up in the air and he's kind of jumping, right? Um, now that's how it always works um, with sprites. So you press down, he does a little crouch movement and, and so on. Um, that's, you know, that's a one way to animate in two dimensions. Now, that's just animating the character, but of course, the character also has to move, right? Because just switching the sprite doesn't actually do anything. It just makes him look differently. Um, so you also have to move it. And that's definitely more complicated depending on the form of locomotion. But, you know, in Mario's case, and you press A and he jumps, uh, there's, you know, some sort of physics um, happening there. So when you jump, he goes up and then he comes back down. Um, and there's all kinds of easings and, and things like that to make it seem more natural. Um, and that's one of the most difficult things is to make movements seem natural because it does not seem natural at all when you just take something from one point to another point. Um, in our real world experience, nothing behaves in a linear motion. Like things don't, don't really follow a linear path. So if you throw a ball up in the air, it goes up. And as it goes up, gravity starts to pull it back down. So you have to, you know, so then it slows as it goes up and then it starts coming back down um, and it gets faster as it comes down. Um, so, so, you know, things like that. So in your, in Come your on. sprite map, you know, what shows up in the sprite map, those are like keyframes, right? And, and yeah. when you talk about easing, are you talking about easing between the keyframes or are you talking about animating the, the, uh, the character the transition, the, the transition right. between the, the sprite, uh, the sprites. The movement of move the it. sprite, the movement of the sprite itself. Okay. So, like the X and Y coordinates right. changing? Yes, exactly. Um, now, one other part of these 2D sprite-based things is parallax. Um, and is you, if you have ever seen a website these days, there's all kinds of parallax. So you might understand that parallax is just that things closer to you are going to move um, farther than things that are further away. Like when you're driving... The street post goes by, you know, like the, the, you know, a house goes by very quick, but the mountains in the distance go by very slow um, because they're further away and they're bigger. So if you look at Super Mario as a good example, because they actually do parallax as well. So when you start to run, the stuff in the far background moves slower than the stuff in the foreground. So it gives that illusion of depth. Um, and, and so um, that's kind of a tangent, but I just want to kind of, that's kind of how those types of movement work. Now, what about things like um, in my video that I, I created, I have a, the caveman coder who just bashes up the, um, he has a big club and he comes to the Gantt chart and he just bashes on it. Um, that movement is, is much different because, um, you know, when you, when you raise up your club, you kind of arch your back and, and then, you, you know, you, when you think about moving, you know, as just a person yourself, um, you think about like swinging a club and then banging on something, 
there's a lot of things that happen, right? Like your whole body moves. It's not just your arm. So if you just animate the arm, it's going to look really, really bad. <laughs> like, cause that's the first thing I did. I'm just like, okay, well I'll just, I'll just move this arm. No big deal. But then it turns out like the whole body kind of needs to move. Um, trying to do that in a sprite based thing is kind of difficult because it doesn't look very natural. Um, and if you try to move all the components, um, so first thing you, you know, if you just have one image, you can't really bend it, right? It's a, it's just a flat image. Um, so what you have to do is, is first you have to take these, these flat images and you have to convert them to be layered somehow. So let's say, so these were, I, I created them with vector images. So I kind of isolated the arm and I exported the arm by itself. So I exported you, you the torso. Yeah, you cut it up. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so you export each component, right? So now you can actually manipulate each part, like the head, the neck, the torso, the legs, the knees, all these things, right? But if you were to try to do anything in a fast manner, if you, when, they, when you swing the club and you, and you need to move the whole body um, and then they hit the thing, there needs to be a little bit of kind of feedback on that. So when you hit, like there's a little bit of bounce that happens and the whole thing, um, if you were to try to move each each component of it um, kind of frame by frame, that obviously would be really time consuming um, and not very fun. So uh, what you can do is, um, you know, in something like After Effects or Flash or whatever they call Flash these days, Animate CC, I think is what it's called. Um, basically, you can tween between, um, you know, states. So you kind of say it starts here and it ends here, right? Um, and then it can figure out kind of all the in-between states for you. So you don't have to figure that all out. Um, the biggest problem, though, is that all of those parts are disconnected. So um, when, you, like when you reach the arm up, what you want it to do is you want that to kind of force, you know, think about your body. It has bones, right? And so when you lift your arm up, you know, parts of your body move. Your waist kind of goes forward a little bit when you, as you kind of pull your arm back over your head, your, your your waist goes forward and such. Um, so lots of your other parts of your body move as well, right? So if you were to try to do that manually, it'd be very difficult to make it all look natural. Well, um, that's where I get to rigging. So rigging is basically where you take these objects and you create a skeleton. So you say, here's my skeleton, and then you assign parts of that skeleton to use the image that you sliced up. So if you can imagine, and you may have seen things like this on TV or something, or even maybe you've done it once or twice, um, you know, you have like a dot and then, uh, or you, you know, think of like a, a ball and then connecting down, there's a line and then another ball and then connecting off of that are other lines to make the arms. So now you have basically a backbone, a waist, legs, arms, all kind of stick figure basically with little balls at the joint parts, right? So now... Um, in, uh, in After Effects, I used, um, I used a plugin to kind of do that because it doesn't do it natively. Um, there's a few different plugins and a few different things. Um, there's one thing called Rubber Hose, but you don't kind of slice the image. You have to kind of create it in After Effects. Um, but it's pretty cool because once you create that skeleton and you assign the different parts to use a certain you know, a certain image to be, to represent that part. Whenever you move the skeleton, the rest of the skeleton moves naturally with it. Um, 
And that's, that's called inverse kinematics. Um, whenever you kind of pull the knee forward instead of the, you know, I mean, basically you kind of say, okay, this is the knee, this is the, this is the foot. And then when you pull the knee forward, the foot stays still and it bends, but that also pulls down the torso, right? Just like someone bending down. So you don't have to kind of figure all that out yourself. You can just start pulling on the parts, say, here's a new keyframe. And then you pull another part and say, here's another keyframe. And then it can figure out all the points in between what the whole body needs to do without you having to figure all that out yourself. So um, how do you like, how do you weight the different parts? So, I mean, you remember the game Co-op, where you, you have yeah. the four keys. So it's like, so it's like a game like this where you have like a person and he, it's a race and then you have the keys QWOP and each controls a separate point. They're left leg, right leg, arms and left arm, right arm. And the challenge is to run as far as you can using the, just those keys to balance your person oh, cool. and not fall on your face. Cause as soon as you fall on your face, you, your race is over. And so like, that's probably like how I feel like I would end up if I did rigging. Like, how do you, how do you yeah. weight like the torso? So well, it's so not like, it thing. doesn't move a lot when you move your yeah. foot or arm. Yeah, there are definitely um, more advanced character animation tools out there than, I mean, After Effects is not a character animation tool, but the basics still apply about rigging. But there's definitely, um, I think, an anime studio, or is that what it's called? I can't remember now, um, off the top of my head. But I think that's what it used to be. Toon Boom, I think is what it used to be called. And maybe now it's anime studio or something. But regardless, um, yeah, you can actually set the weight of certain points. Um, but... There's one thing to kind of remember is that depending on the tool you're using, uh, it doesn't it, it it doesn't know like that there's a floor, right? And that there's so it's kind of just like with Mario, where you need to not only move the pieces of the body, you need to also move the entire body across the stage. Um, because if you don't do that, then it's going to just be someone standing there doing this, you know, walking or swinging motion, but you know nothing's actually moving you know what i mean they're just their arms are moving or something but you have to actually move the entire character um so to do things like I mean, there's a lot of really advanced stuff and i'm trying to keep it high level um but basically to like when you want someone to walk across the stage well what you would do with your characters you'd create what's called a walk cycle and a walk cycle is pretty much what it sounds like you define the animation for uh a step with the left left leg and then a step with the right leg and, you know, if you think about when you're walking, you kind of put your left leg forward and, you know, you think about all the different points that bend and then you kind of move the rest of your body up to that leg and past it with your other leg. And then you set that leg down. Now, if you can figure it, the point at which you're kind of got the two legs in almost the same point, you can kind of loop that, you know, because because that's all walking is right. It's left and right and left and right. Um, so you need to kind of create a walk cycle, which is very difficult because to look natural, you actually don't really want to loop it. You want to have some variation. So in a lot of the kind of more professional animating tools, there's, there's things to introduce wiggle and things so that it's not exactly a loop, but it's still, it's kind of a complicated thing, but so you, you create this walk animation and then you have to animate the distance that they're going to go. So you kind of take that whole character and you tell it, okay, you're going to do the walk animation and you're going to go from this point to this point. And then whatever point you draw it on is how it's going to walk. So there's no ground it's walking on. You're kind of just putting ground there and it's walking, 
Right. That makes sense. So it's so if you you were to think of it in like three D, like you know, if you're walking across the stage, you have to end it on a certain keyframe so it looks natural as well. Like you can't. Yeah. If you're walking to a podium, you can't just like walk, walk, walk. Oh, I'm in the middle of my stride. Now I'm standing. Yeah. Like how does like how does that all go together? And and again, like you're talking in two D and sprite maps, but if we were to take this into three D, I mean, we're talking about a mesh with texture, and then yeah. a skeleton, and then that skeleton is exported all together with this this three D object, and then your game engine takes it and then does these things, and it probably also has keyframes and and stuff to instruct it as far as movement as well. Right. Yeah. So three D. I mean, two D and is definitely. I mean, it's very what I just described with with rigging is very much similar in three D. I've never done like a 3D one, but I my understanding of it it's pretty it's pretty similar. Although, like you said, there's this skeleton, and then you build on top of it, um, and then you know there's these there's some mesh and, and textures and stuff. Um, there's definitely there's definitely something to be said for toolkits and things like that that kind of do <laughs> a lot of this stuff for you because it is a lot of figuring stuff out that you don't necessarily have to do anymore. Um, but that I mean again, generally speaking, you can get something up and running quickly in Unity or something and not have to deal with a lot of this stuff because they have kind of pre-made things that you just, you know, right. grab a pre-made object and this is a, you know, this object's a, a person and it has these properties. So you just do this and this and it kind of figures out the rest, right? But yeah, I mean, there's definitely, it's definitely not as easy as it looks for an amateur like me to just, Oh, I'll just have them walk across the screen and then turn. Because now think about it. If you're using 2D objects and you want someone to turn, well, turning requires exposing parts that don't exist in your 2D representation. So you have to then swap the images, right? Because you're turning from side to front. So you need the front view of that person as well, not just the side view. So now you have to swap it and it has to be, you know, really well done so that you you know, you have the inter, you know, the intermediary, um, views of it. And then the front view paper Mario um, does it the best. They just keep it flat and they flip it over as if it were a nice. two sided. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Super easy. I love it. Yeah. So it's definitely something that once I started playing with it for this video that I did, um, you definitely want to watch kids animation and stuff. I mean, they're using, I mean, these are professionals that do this every day. So to them, it's probably not that complicated, right? And they have like professional tools that they build themselves and stuff to actually do a lot of this stuff. Um, but it's still amazing, like how fluid these movements can be um, and how hard it is to actually do that. It seems so simple. It, it, it looks simple. And then, like you said, you start to find out that there's a lot more going on with everything that you see than you realize. Because just like you said, it doesn't look natural when you just walk, 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 and then come to a complete stop because that's not how movement really works, right? Like you're walking and then you kind of start to slow when you're getting to where you're going. You know, there's there's that kind of easing thing happening again, right? Or, yeah. you know, there's momentum, right? So you have to kind of account for that if they're running across the screen and then they come to a stop, they're not just going to instantly stop and be in rest again, right? There's there's that. And then there's right. breathing and all kinds of stuff, right? Where they kind of breathe and you kind of, your body moves and yeah, yeah it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Like it's the hard, Sims, but it's really fun. Yeah, like the Sims where you'd be like, go here, and they would run, 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 stop, and then rotate, <laughs> and yeah. then, then talk to whomever you were telling tell them to talk to. Yeah, There's exactly. a lot that goes into to making something look good in a 3D space. 
and believable. Yeah, I did too. the best that I could with what I had, my time I had for these characters to animate for this video. And I think you can see it online. We'll link it in the show notes. Like we put it online and have been using it for social tweets and stuff. But it was, you know, in a week, I was pretty proud of what I was able to do, but it was very stressful because I did not know what I was doing. I thought it would be easy. <laughs> And it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be um, because, I mean, I would seriously went to the garage and got a bat and was just like filming myself walking, which I had to cut because I couldn't get the walk cycle right. Like I could not make it look right. So I just cut it and he just he's standing stationary when it starts and then he starts beating on this thing. But even just getting that, like I had to kind of like watch myself, watch a video of, you know, what does it look like with your body to lift something up over your head and then crash down on it, you know, with, with this club and what happens to the club and the thing. And, you know, so yeah, it was a lot of fun to put together and I've definitely been very excited to play with things more and get better at it. Yeah. I, I was, um, I, I, rigging first came to the fore for me when I was looking through uh, blender blender has a tutorial series, yep. bunch of videos and then the, they're like, Oh, here's how you do rigging. And they start off with, like I think it's a worm or a cylinder or something super simple. They just draw a three segmented line and they're like, here, you move this and then this other stuff moves. Um, right. And that's as far as I've gotten for rigging. And then I, I look to you, Tori, and I'm like, how the hell does anybody do this? Because there's all these variables. There's all this stuff to put together. And it seems super simple. It's like, oh, skeleton and mocap machines and you're done, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's just not, it's not like it's amazingly it's complex. Yeah, the motion capture stuff is amazing too. Like, you know, whenever you see the stuff where people do video games or movies and they have all the sensors all over them, well, that's the mocap thing you just mentioned. And yeah, it's absolutely crazy because, they, I mean, you just take these points and that's, that's your skeleton and then it does these things and it gives a really good, you know, if you want it to be very human-like, it does a very good job because a human's actually doing these moves. So you get exactly the skeleton doing those things, but then they build stuff over top of it and oh man, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, because you got to smooth it out for your loop cycles and things like that. Yeah. Because, you know, you can dance around all you want on mocap, but it has to, like, be a single movement and then loop in some way so it can be reused as you're walking down the stage or doing a funny dance. Like, after your dance, you have to go back to, like, whatever your prior state is. Yeah. It's... Those people who do that, uh, it's very amazing what they can do. Like, I, I'm very, very impressed. Um, one of the cool things that I found while I was uh, playing with all this stuff um, is that there's a plugin for After Effects called Body Movin'. And basically what it does is if you take shapes, because in After Effects you can import things, but you can also create shapes, um, shape layers in After Effects. So you can create primitives like you know, squares and circles and stuff. Um, and then what you can do is when you animate them, you can export it using Body Movin', and it actually exports to a... Um, SVG, like animated um, SVG or canvas. So it uses, I think it uses, um, I want to say it uses um, Green Socks or GSAP, um, but it, it might not use that actually. Not sure what it uses underneath anymore. Um, but it's really cool because, I mean, you know, here it is, you can use After Effects to create something and then export it and it runs in the browser, um, which is really cool because doing stuff in the browser, there's a lot of great demos. Um, doing complicated things in the browser, I found can get very tricky to deal with all of the different things that are happening that you need to move and you're trying to do that in code. And if you're a very visual person, it gets very complicated because tweaking something, you know, like 
in After Effects, I can mess with something and then try something and then, oh, I don't like it that way, and just grab it and move it, you know, and see the results really quickly. In the browser, I feel like you kind of get to a certain point and now you've put in all this time getting it one way and you don't really want to screw with it to get it a different way. And you're just like, well, it's not what I wanted. Uh, okay, like whatever, because it's just so complicated to move stuff around. Um, but there's a lot of different things out there. Like I mentioned, Green Socks um, or GSAP uh, is a very popular um, animation uh, toolkit for the web. Uh, Pixie is really cool. It uses WebGL and then it falls back to Canvas. Um, and Anime.js is a really uh, popular one too. It kind of animates any properties of something. So um, you can give like CSS properties like the X and Y of something and have it animate using easing and stuff or change the color while it's doing it or change the shape while it's moving and do all kinds of cool stuff. So you should definitely check those out. Nice. It's really fun. And check out all yeah. the CodePen stuff. Like just go there and type in Canvas. It's amazing. A lot of great stuff there. Yeah, this looks really cool. I've never used this or heard of GSAP before, but... It's uh, it's really pretty nice. Yeah, everything's just modules, and you can, uh, I mean, you can npm install it, I believe, and then, um, you know, use the modules to do various things like tweening, and you can even create like a little timeline, which lets you sequence animations and start them and stop them and restart them. And this is how a lot of like online advertising that are animated are done with with this plugin or with these tools. I mean. Nice. I have done a little bit of Canvas game development before. I used this project called Impact.js, which was not free, um, but it worked pretty well for a, a startup weekend, do a game in one weekend thing. And cool. Um, I did not worry about any of the the rigging or tweening or any of that. We just, when you went to the edge of the screen or had to turn around, we just flipped the direction of the sprite and started going the other nice. way. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, there's some really cool stuff too. Like if you're if you're thinking about playing with one of these, you know, if you want to get up and running quickly on any of these things, um, you know, it's great to create your own stuff. But if you're not very artistic or you don't have a lot of time, um, definitely check out like Unity for Unity um, and the Unity engine and Unreal. They both have like little stores um, and free assets that you can get to kind of start playing with. Um, and then on 2D, there's all kinds of free assets and you can even buy them from like um, Graphic River and different sites like that. You can buy assets. So um, definitely if you want to play around, don't feel like you're constrained because, you know, you have to start by learning how to create something in Illustrator first. Yeah, that's a that's a good idea. I, I was looking at Unity and the Unity stores and things like that. Um, the The problem I always have with them is like I don't. I, I don't know what to get. Like, I, I don't know if um, if something is made for movies versus, like, the web, which requires a lower poly count, things like that. That's always been my struggle. Yeah, yeah definitely with, um, with 3D objects, that's definitely something to be worried about. Like you said, like, the, the poly count is a big thing. Um, 2D, less so, obviously. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I think what I think Sketchfab is is the other one that has 3D models available, and and I, they use WebGL to show it to you on the screen. Oh, cool! And if I'm wrong about that, we'll correct in the show notes. We probably won't, though. No, nah, probably won't. No, it's true. That's that's a site. I, it's there. It's a real one. 
Yes. I don't know if it has anything, but it's it's a site and it's not, you know, it's a not safe for work. It's not a not safe for work site. So you always got to be careful giving out URLs like that. Get it wrong and people go to bad sites or good <laughs> sites. I, I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Sites are just tools. <laughs> There's no good or bad. And lots of sites are made by tools and people using tools. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thanks, Tori. I, uh, I think I know a little bit more about rigging and I know enough to know that I don't know enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I'm really, I, I know so little and it, it kind of just makes, whenever you try to do something and then you find out, oh, wow, there's a lot more to this than I ever thought. Um, it's a little humbling, especially when I'm trying to explain it and realize how I can get it, but not quite have the words to explain it and then make it hopefully not more confusing. So. <laughs> No, it was, it was good. And, you know, I'm here sitting, sitting here thinking of all the consequences that must happen with rigging and like how you, you have to like, uh, transform a mesh, like a 3d mesh or something like that. As you're, as you're like rendering it out, I imagine you have to have like shaders that, that will transform your, your points and and everything like that to, to actually make it move as it renders and keep smooth and, and yeah. Technologies. Yeah, I have, to, I have not gotten into the 3D yet, um, but that's kind of on my list of things to start learning more about because, I mean, just seeing what's going w- with the web and web VR, I think that knowing 3D and having those skills is going to be uh, a very important thing in the next few years. So until the robots take all our jobs. <laughs> Thank God. I can't wait. Robots doing my I know, job. right? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Now I can well, do, probably do it better do than me, else. so. Hey, that's a plus. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, uh, thank you guys for being here. Uh, this has been a great episode of Talk Script, and we will self declared, <laughs> self declared the greatest episode the best of Talk episode. <laughs> so we'll be bringing you more. Um, stay tuned. Check us out at SitePen. Um, I also got at Talk Script. Um, not sure if I'll post there or not, but maybe. So maybe just follow that. And if I see people following it, then we'll start posting there as well. I, I am the only follower. <laughs> yes. I, that means I haven't followed it personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Well, we'll see if we can gain some followers here. All right. I bet you'll get two real quick. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cool, guys. Well, thank you very much for, for joining me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will be back soon. Outro music. Yep, that's where it would be right here. I don't know. I have no outro music. I was blowing down the window Cause I like to feel the wind blow We got a good thing Gonna see where the day goes Take it fast, take it real slow We got a good